Today's reading is Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. It can be found on page 921 of the Bibles next to your seats as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The word of God. Good morning, everybody. That was quite the introduction. Uh, it's a little, little weird, but you know, it's cool. I love it. Uh, let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to come together and hear from your word. Uh, please open our minds and our hearts to be ready to receive what you have to say. Uh, may we take what you give us and, we may, and may we go out with it uh, to share with the world, with our city, uh, with our neighbors, and with our friends. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So it's really cool to get to read the question of the week this week and get to see what it said before Mark read it this time. So uh, the question of the week last week was, uh, what brings people together? Uh, some people said parties with lots of fun things. Another person said tragedy, unfortunately, but my first thought was food. Another person said food. Another person said food, pizza, beer, picnics, the City Life camping trip, which is coming up August 4th through 6th, so just so you know. They also said beer, again. Whatever the opposite of politics is, and beer. Uh, this past year, on uh, November 4th of 2016, uh, the city of Chicago also witnessed the seventh largest gathering of people in recorded human history. Over five million people poured into the streets of the city to celebrate something incredible that hadn't happened in over a hundred years. The Chicago Cubs had just won the World Series, and over five million people gathered together to celebrate that. And even now, today, we are gathered here to worship. People gather together for, for all sorts of things. Uh, and as we are gathered here now, Jesus gathered the disciples to him and the text that we just read on the mountainside to give them the Great Commission. And uh, I wonder if some of them thought back to the first time that Jesus gathered them together. This was the last time that they'd be with him, but I wonder if some of them went and thought about the first time Jesus called them to follow him. In Mark 3, uh, we read about something that uh, took place that looked very similar to the Great Commission. It says that Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those that he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. The moment that they were called to follow Jesus looked a lot like the moment that Jesus sent them out with his mission. And that reminds me of what a, uh, a senior might feel like on graduation day. 
after she's gone through four years of college and is now here uh, in the auditorium about to graduate, I wonder if she might think back to her first day of school. On those first days, everything must have seemed really unfamiliar, strange, and foreign. The people were different. The professors might have been intimidating, and the new ideas that she was learning might have seemed confusing and foreign. But now, during this graduation ceremony, she looks around and she doesn't see strangers anymore, but she sees friends, people that stayed up with her all night while she was trying to finish a project. Instead of being intimidated by the professors, she now sees them as her mentors, people that helped counsel her towards her future career. And the ideas that at first seemed confusing and foreign, now are the ideas that shape the core of who she is. Now she's intrigued to learn more. A lot can change during the course of college. And I think a lot changed for the disciples as well during their three years of following Jesus, watching him as he did his ministry. At first, Jesus probably seemed really strange. He did things very differently than anybody else ever did. He spoke differently. He hung out with a different crowd than what they were used to seeing rabbis hang out with. But now, three years later, as they gather on this mountainside to be with Jesus for one last time, I wonder if some of them looked around, and instead of seeing Jesus as this strange, quirky, weird rabbi, now I think they look at him as their friend, as their teacher, as their savior. During those three years of following him, they saw his love in every aspect. In the Gospel of John, it says about Jesus that having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And I think it's interesting that Jesus chose these 12 disciples in particular. Because back in those days when a rabbi would choose their disciples, they would teach all the little Jewish children, and then at the end, uh, they would select the best and the brightest, the class presidents, to be their followers, and then teach them to continue uh, to become leaders after them, to be the future rabbis. And all the other kids would go back to their family trades to be carpenters, fishermen, whatever. And that's where we see Jesus' disciples. They were fishermen, they were tax collectors, they were, you name it, they were the ones that weren't chosen by the rabbis to be their disciples. These guys were the leftovers. But Jesus chose them. Jesus chose the nobodies and the outsiders to be his followers. These were the ones that Jesus was going to use to change the world. But maybe we shouldn't be so surprised to see Jesus acting this way. Because that's how God has acted throughout scripture. God always chooses the nobodies. God always chooses the little guy, and the outsider. We see that in Abraham, who is in a pagan land. God chose him and told him to go to the promised land where he would turn him and his family into a great nation. God also chose Moses, who had run away from a crime he committed in Egypt and was hiding with the shepherds. But God found him there called him through the burning bush, and told him to go lead his people, the Israelites, back into the promised land. And this is where Jesus finds the disciples, the outsiders and the leftovers. And now, instead of Jesus telling them to go to the promised land, he sends them out to go to every land, to go to every nation, and to preach the gospel there. And I think all of us know what it's like to be a leftover, to be an outsider, to be unwanted. Maybe you were the kid on the playground that was always picked last for kickball or was left alone at recess. 
Maybe you know what it's like to uh, hear about a party that's going on, but not to be invited. These are things that can happen in our youth, uh, but as we grow up, the feeling of being left out or being an outsider doesn't really change. Just the way that it happens <coughs> tends to change. So maybe you know what it's like to, uh, to see all of your friends and acquaintances change their Facebook status from single to in a relationship to married while your own status stares back at you saying, single, unwanted, not good enough. There are all sorts of things that make us feel like outsiders. All sorts of things that make us feel like we're not good enough, like we're not worthy, like we don't belong. And it's in these moments that Jesus finds us. To the kid on the playground who's left out, Jesus says, let the little children come to me. And, and don't stop them, because my kingdom belongs to these. To those who are uninvited to the parties, Jesus told a story about his party. In that story, Jesus told his messengers to go out into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the blind, the leftovers, the outsiders, and bring them in so that my house will be full. To those who feel maybe unwanted or undesired or left out, Jesus shows that he's willing to pay any price to be in a relationship with you. Jesus shows that he will hold nothing back, not even his life, to be with you, to win you to him. But he doesn't just do that and draw us as individuals. He draws us as a whole community. And uh, there's a quote in your um, worship guide from Dietrich Bonhoeffer that kind of demonstrates what this is like. Um, Bonhoeffer lived in Germany during the time of the Nazis, and he lived uh, in a very unique community as he was teaching people about the gospel and about uh, the message of Jesus. But it was also back in the 40s, so it was pretty gender not inclusive, so uh, just keep that in mind. But God has put his word in the mouths of men and women in order that it may be communicated to other men and women. When one person is struck by the word, he speaks it to others. God has willed that we should seek and find his loving word in the witness of a brother or sister, in the mouths of each other, that we get to encounter Jesus in the words and the actions of each other, of the people in this room, of the community of God. We get to encounter Jesus welcoming hospitality and a handshake and a smile at the door. We get to encounter some of Jesus' glory as we sing praises to him, as Jake leads us in worship. We get to encounter Jesus' sacrifice every week as we come to the table for communion. We get to encounter Jesus' presence in the fellowship of one another, maybe at one of the hangouts that is happening tonight or this afternoon. So to sum up, Jesus gathered his disciples to him. He gathers us to be in relationship with him. But now we're going to look at how Jesus sent out the disciples and how Jesus sends us out. Because that's what I think the text, what the message is really pointing at, is Jesus sending his disciples out. So as he sent them out with the Great Commission, he included three things. He told them to go and make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them all the things that he has commanded them. So he's inviting his disciples to carry on the mission that Jesus began in them. He's inviting them to go and make more disciples as he discipled them. 
He's instructing them to go and teach others the wisdom of God as Jesus had taught them the wisdom of God's kingdom. But what about baptism? Nowhere in scripture does it say that Jesus baptized his disciples. It doesn't say anywhere that Jesus baptized anybody. So why is Jesus telling them to go do that? And I know a lot of people have different uh, understandings of what baptism is. Uh, so for right now, let's look at one uh, understanding of it. If you can also open in your worship guide, there's a quote from John Calvin that talks about uh, baptism. Uh, what Calvin has to say is that baptism is the sign of the initiation. It's an initiation thing by which we are received into the society of the church in order that, engrafted in Christ, we may be reckoned among God's children. That's a lot right there. So if you want to keep reading this and like look over it on your own, you can do that. I like to do that when I have to read something. But uh, in baptism... God makes a promise to us to be our Father and to give us a new identity which is rooted in Christ. It's a sign that we are no longer the same person that we were before we met Jesus. In baptism, we have become the adopted sons and daughters of God. In baptism, the Holy Spirit unites us with Christ in such a way that his Father in heaven is now our Father in heaven. And since today is Trinity Sunday, I'm going to read that again, because we see all three members of the Trinity at work in there, inviting us to be in relationship with that blessed triune community. In baptism, the Holy Spirit unites us with Christ in such a way that his Father in heaven becomes our Father in heaven. We are united in Jesus' death and his resurrection. And because of that, we get to share in the righteous reward that Jesus received for living a holy life. Baptism is a sign of God's freely given grace. We don't earn our place in God's family. Jesus gives it to us. And I think that's the whole gospel right there. So I'm going to ask for an amen because this is my first time preaching. And I think God deserves an amen. So what did the disciples do with this great commission? They spread it everywhere. They went all over the known world. Thomas, who at one point doubted Jesus' resurrection, went as far away as India to proclaim the good news of Jesus' resurrection. Matthew, who, used, who was used to being on the outskirts of society as a tax collector, nobody wanted him to be with them. He was now on the outskirts of the Roman Empire, telling the good news of the gospel in Ethiopia. Andrew, who was the first disciple to respond to Jesus' call, went as far as Russia, to tell the good news of God's word. And Peter, Peter who screwed up all over the place and is always opening his big mouth, the one who Jesus chose to lead his people after he went, went as far as Rome to lay the foundation for the church's future. What started out as a small community of 12, 12 followers on the side of a hill worshiping Jesus grew into the church that we see now which is represented, represented in every country and spoken in just about every language. And we, as a church, City Life Church, are a small part of that larger community. And we get to share in the Great Commission to disciple, to baptize, and to teach, to welcome other people into the family and the community of God. The Great Commission isn't given to us as a chore. 
It's not given to us as a to-do list, like, you better go out and make disciples. You better go out and start discipling and baptizing and teaching and doing this. It's given as an invitation. It's saying, I've brought you into community with me. I've taught you. I've discipled you. And I've brought you into my family. And now I want those people to be a part of my family, too. I want those people on the outside to be with me. And so he's telling his disciples, go and invite them. Go bring them in with me as I've brought you to be in relationship with me. This past week, as I was teaching at the uh, retirement community, this time there were five people there. So we're, we're growing. We got a, a budding ministry there. Uh, I gave a similar version of this, this message, and one of, them, one of the uh, women came up and told me that she had been sober for 30 years now, that she had been a part of Alcoholics Anonymous, and that it had made a big difference in her life. And she told me that they have a saying that goes like this. You have to give it away to keep it. You have to give it away to keep it. Uh, in AA, you have to share the benefits of sobriety with others. Otherwise, your own transformation from being drunk to sober becomes nothing more than just a memory. It stays in the past. But as you give away your story, as you tell people about what your life used to be like, then after being a part of this community, what your life is like now, it grows in yourself. You get to keep it. As you give it away, you get to keep it. And as you tell your story and you watch others go on their journey from addiction to sobriety, you get to witness your own story in their life. And it keeps that memory close to you. As you give it away and as you watch them go through your journey, it's like you get to go through it all over again. And what a joyful process to see somebody else go from where you were to where you are now. And I think this fits in really well with what Jesus is telling his disciples. He wants them to give away this message, give away this good news, so that they can keep it, so that it will grow in them, so that it will grow in their community. He's saying that the more that you give, the more that you invite, the more that you tell this good news, the greater your own joy will be, and the greater the joy of your community will be. So friends, we, all of us here, were once on the outside. And maybe you still feel like you're on the outside now. And maybe you have doubts that this message has anything to do with you. And if you do, you're actually in good company. Because in the message that we read, you might not have noticed it. It's, I think it's this great passage, but right in the middle, there's this one phrase, but some doubt it. There they are, standing with Jesus right in front of them, risen, glorified, and still some of them are doubting. Part of me always wondered, how can you be doubting? Like, Jesus is right there in front of you. Why would you not have, why would you have any doubts? But then I remembered what it's like to be hurt, to put your trust in somebody, and then to be disappointed. The last time the disciples saw Jesus, he was dying on a cross. And I think some of them thought, well, there that goes. There's three years of my life. All my hopes were put in this guy, and it's gone. And then to see him again, maybe some of them were like, no, this is too good to be true. Like, I, don't, I can't believe this, because last time I put my hope in him, he died, and I got hurt. I don't want to go through that again. And maybe you've put your hope in religion or a church, and you've been hurt by that. And so when you come today, maybe there's doubt. Maybe there's doubt that the people here are genuine. Maybe there's doubt that what God has to say is really there for you. But that's what the disciples felt. 
and they grew from that. And so if you're feeling doubts, you're in good company. Don't worry, the disciples even felt doubts. But now we're here, uh, and we get to extend this family invitation. We know what it was like to be left outside. We know what it's like to be left out on the playground, to be uninvited, to be lonely and forgotten, but Jesus doesn't leave us where he finds us. In him, we get to be brothers and sisters in God's family. We get to be invited to the heavenly party with the choicest food and the best drink. We are part of God's family. And so now, we are invited to extend this family invitation to others. So I want you to think for a minute about who you could disciple. We've been discipled by somebody. And that must have been a growing and encouraging experience for you. Who could you share that experience with in your life? To whom can you teach God's wisdom of the kingdom? What's something that maybe you've learned, something that somebody taught to you that made a big difference? Who could you share that wisdom with? Who might that wisdom make a big difference in their life? Who can you invite into God's family? Who do you know that's on the outside that you could extend God's invitation to them and bring them inside, bring them in relationship with their maker? And I know that doing this isn't always easy. And the very act of inviting people to be in relation, relationship with Jesus can have serious consequences. Uh, for some, it might cost a relationship or a position at work. For some people, not always here, but in other parts of the world, extending this invitation could cost you your life. It could cost you the safety of your family. But even though there might be a consequence for this, Jesus doesn't leave us alone on this mission. The last words of Jesus' commission to his disciples will also be the last words of this message. Jesus promised his disciples that surely I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you've gathered us together in your name. You've invited us to be a part of your family. You've brought us from the outside to be inside your presence. Lord, be with us now as we go out, uh, as we go into the week, to our places of work, with our family, with our friends. May we bring your invitation to those who are still on the outside. Amen.